But tell me about it. I, I read that he's a policeman, or he'd been a policeman. He was. He did. He wrote a story for season 18, the one before you joined Doctor Who, when he was 18 years old. Wow. Yeah, so he had, um, he'd been sending this um, treatment in to the Doctor Who office since he was about 14 or 15, and he kept getting encouraging letters, but they they couldn't find a place for it, and I think maybe some of the people who were working on the programme at the time thought might be a bit too much work given how young he is. Yeah. And then by the time he turned 18, there was a new script editor, and the script editor got hold of this treatment he'd sent in and said, well, why don't we do it? Well, that would have been um, Eric, wouldn't it? Eric? No, it was the year before Eric. It was Christopher Bidmead. Oh, right. Yes, because Eric Saywood joined at exactly the same time as you did, pretty much. Really? Wow. Yeah. He, with his own story? Yes. Well, yes, he'd written one story before, which went out just before. It went out um, two stories earlier than Earthshock, and they asked him to come back and do Earthshock and join as script editor. So Earthshock is essentially the point at which Eric Saywood joins the programme too. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh wow! Maybe we can, maybe we can keep up the educational content on this podcast. <laughs> I think so, especially of me. Yeah, well, well, you know, you know, the way I look at it is, you're an actor. You know, there's no owners on you whatsoever to be a big fan of the programs you're in, the plays you're in, whatever else. You know, is it as far as you're concerned, it's a job. Yeah, but I've never taken that that viewpoint. Um, no, but you know, I'm just saying. To me, it would be fair enough if that was your sort of. Yeah, but yeah. I hope that I've I've shown over the many, 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 many years. Yes. Um, you know, I have an interest in finding out the kind of character I'm playing, and you know, even after the event, especially in the Doctor Who world. You know, um, obviously, I it's something that I I didn't leave alone. Maybe I wanted to leave alone. It kept coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah, it did, didn't it? I mean, I don't think there's more than a few years gone by when your name's not been attached to something. No, but the interesting thing is that, you know, the thing like that, what you just mentioned, is that I didn't have a way of knowing that, and it's not something that anybody's brought up. It would be one of those kind of, um, you know, tr trivial pursuits or, you know, one of those questions that the ultra fan would know. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, so yeah. Um, but interesting to me that he was, uh, you know, he was he, he was a newcomer too. Interesting. Well, oh, yeah. and J and T wasn't too far off there, was he? Well, J and T, uh, he just started as producer the year before, but actually he had worked on Doctor Who since the nineteen sixties in junior roles, and he gradually yes. worked his way up. Yeah, yeah. But I meant as as the producer. as the producer, yeah. Yeah, you you turned up in um, middle of his second series, middle of his second year. So yeah, he'd yeah. only been there just over a year or so. Mm -hmm. mm. Still nothing from Andrew, I'm afraid. Yeah, no. Do you want to um, call off and wait until he gets until his little light comes up, and then bring me in when you've got him? Well, we could do if you like. I've been quite enjoying just chatting to you, actually. <laughs> but yeah, if you'd like to oh, go well, off, and... carry on, carry on. Oh yeah, no. Oh, because right. uh, the thing is, Jay, you seem to, you know, you you've got a very uh, wide grasp of Doctor Who. 
haven't you? Yeah. You, you've been a real fan for a long, long time, haven't you? Um, I suppose I've been a fan... Hang on, sorry. Andrew's just emailed me. He says he's good for about a quarter of an hour. Right. But hang on. Let me just reply to him. reply to him yeah funnily enough i was a doctor who fan when i was a kid i mean a big fan bought the magazine and all the target books and everything else and mm. then when it went off the air in about 89 i just completely lost interest mm. and for about 10 years even when the tv movie was on i just never sort of got back into it and then about three or four years before it came back. So it wasn't the series coming back that did it, but about three or four years before. Do you remember when DVD players first came out? Well, Would DVD, have... well, sort of. I mean, I yeah, yeah. Well, DVD came out and um, I had a friend who was working in um, retail and, mm. I, and they knew me and, you know, they'd sold me loads and loads of VHS tapes over the years. And they said to me, um, JR, those VHS tapes, in about two years' time, they'll be worth nothing. You won't be playing them anymore. They said mm. to me, this thing's coming out called DVD. It's brand new. Sell your VHS tapes, buy a DVD player, and you'll never look back. And, you know, most people, if you told them that, they'd have said, don't be so daft. But actually, I took notice of this, so I sold all my VHS tapes, and I found one of these companies that'll give you, like, a four quid for each one, but they'll take them off you in bulk. So yeah. I sold a whole load of VHS tapes for about £500, and then I got um, a letter off them saying, have you got any more to sell? So I looked at what I had left, and all I had left, really, were my Doctor Who VHSs that I hadn't played in ten years. Mm -hmm. and I and I looked at them and I thought, well, I've not played them in 10 years. And then I thought, oh, no, I can't part with these. And that, <laughs> and that is when I started watching Doctor Who again, 10 years after the series went off the you air. You started watching on your VHS. Yeah, it was just so bizarre. But I did actually sell them. I actually transferred them all. So that I you, could. You had transferred, or you did it yourself? I did it myself. I had yeah. two VHS players, so mm -hmm. I actually put the two VHS players, and for about a fortnight, I just ran it constantly, recording off these Doctor Who tapes, so that I could then watch them afterwards, but so that I could sell them and use the money to buy, you know, DVDs and stuff. And you then mean you didn't digitize them. You put them onto another VHS. Yeah, because this was before um, you could record onto DVD. This was um, back in 99, yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. And then I, yeah. And I kind of regretted that. But, you know, once it was done, it was done. <laughs> so that was, so that's the story yeah. of my Doctor Who fandom for you. And then, and then when, you, when you came back, so it kind of, re in a way, it, it reunited you with Doctor Who in adulthood. Because I imagine that yes. when you lost interest, you were probably mid-teens, were you? Or um, early, early 20s. Uh, well, when you, when you stopped, when Doctor Who stopped? 
Yeah, Doctor Who stopped when I was 21. Yeah, 20 or 20, 21. Yes, it mm. stopped when I was 21. So, yes, I, but I, I, the last, you're right, though. I kind of lost <coughs> interest in my mid-teens and just kind of kept up with it for the sake of keep, keeping up with it for the last few years. Yeah. Sort of. So, you know, obviously, although I watched things like Attack of the Cybermen and Silver Nemesis and all the other things as well, I was just the wrong age at the time for what the programme was doing. Mm. And mm. now, of course, I've got a much better appreciation because a lot of the stories that I really didn't like, Silver Nemesis in particular is one that I really didn't like very much when it went out. Mm. Now, I mean, Silver Nemesis, you're probably aware, Silver Nemesis isn't regarded as a classic, but it's one mm. of those ones that I think is great fun to just put on and sort of immerse yourself in because <laughs> Doctor Who's supposed to be fun. It is. Well, and it, it became camp in a way. I mean, it's, you know, this is JNT's influence. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but um, actually now, now that I'm sort of in my 40s, I actually appreciate that more than when it tries to take itself really seriously. Mm, mm. Um, did you watch, have you watched the new series? Oh, I absolutely love the new series, yeah. Right. How yeah, about so you? Do you watch it? Sorry. Yeah. I was just asking if you watch it. I don't I watch it consistently. I, I started, um, you know, I started watching it whenever I could. I travel around quite a bit. And uh, so I did see some of the first, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. And Billy Piper. I thought, you know, they had very good. Uh, Billy Piper, I thought, was just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, if you compare <laughs> the, the Doctor Who that we'd left... Um, Twelve years before that, um, with the with the Doctor Who, the standards, the quality of that program, yes. it, it's almost incomparable. And yet, you know, that's true. The the sort of quality, you know, the, of the production quality is mm. totally different. But actually, the stories aren't that dissimilar. The one, do you, you remember? You'll remember Andrew Cartmel, who came in, um, you know, just before Silver Nemesis, and would have been working on Silver Nemesis. Yeah, and he was the script editor for the last three years at the end. Mm. I don't think he's a million miles away from Russell T. Davis. I think if there'd been a handover without the fifteen-year gap, I don't think it would have been, you know, that ob- obvious. Pardon me, sorry. Mm. No, I, I think. Um... Well, I think the, the obvious difference, if you put them both together, if, if your experience, your memory, yeah. which it was when the new series started, was of the, the shaky sets and the, you know, all that. Mm. Um, the, the production values made the huge difference. Yeah. Now, you know, then you get the question of, well, were the, what, how do the stories compare? Um, it seems to me that they, they've got increasingly more... Um, up their own ass, as it were. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I really love those. Well, I think, you know, that to the benefit of any, anybody who's got a very, very good grasp of the whole of the mythos. But um, if, you know, if you're thinking of it being ordinary family entertainment and, you know, people getting interested in science fiction and all that, uh, it, it can be a bit of a turn-off, I think. Um, but so, For some people, for sure, yeah. Yeah, but but on the other hand, I mean, on the other hand, I suppose um, part of what I was trying to do with the cyberbook and and with uh, with iceberg 
was to take the stories and what they what they implied and put them into a different context or weave use that material to weave other things yeah yeah and i think you know i think that's what generally i think this is something that we said in our previous i said it to you in my previous conversation with you but i think to some extent that's what the the fans of the first series as they grow up you know perhaps started to do and to think about it it became the myth became uh, the the bedrock as it were from uh, on which they could then create um extended fantasies yeah and you know i think the new the new series the last sort of god how many years is it now 13 i think it yeah, I think it appeals. Yeah, it appeals to the. I think it appeals to that same sort of instinct. Mm. I think, especially as the way, because when Russell T. Davis brought it back in two thousand and five, they sort of reinvented family entertainment for Saturday nights, didn't they? And they brought yeah. back Strictly yeah. and things like that. But then, mm. when Stephen Moffat took over about five years later, that was when. Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the rest of it was on the rise and TV sort of fragmented and so Stephen Moffat's had to deal with a different kind of audience than Russell T Davies I think that the thing is at the moment television's changing so fast something like Doctor Who has to try and keep up so that it doesn't get lost yeah sure it had to I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't have got the franchise I mean you know grade was right about the production values and yeah. then whoever you know actually stopped it you know stopped it for those reasons i think it was just getting tired and it needed reinvention yeah reinvention actually, took place you know it took place in a totally new universe of television and production and and uh, competition absolutely but um and i think and there were some tremendous stories that i saw and you know, even even though a bit of a cop out, the Age of Steel being in a parallel universe, it's <laughs> yeah. still it's, it's still very interesting. And uh, you know, the the, the Cyber Woman um, of the of Torchwood, the yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Torchwood, yeah. That you know, that those are taking themes that I I tried to do. You know, taking a, a view that I tried to take, um, trying to instill the idea, which didn't seem to be very widespread when I was started it, that um, the Cybermen, it doesn't describe their gender. Um, it describes their use, you know, the use to which they're put. Yeah. Actually, I that, that Torchwood story, I actually think there's a good story there. I th- to my mind, well, the obvious, obviously the big thing is putting the Cyberman, the Cyberwoman rather, in a mm. cyber bikini. What a bizarre idea. But there's, <laughs> there's a good story in there, but it, you get stuck on the bikini and you don't see any further than the bikini, do you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually remember the bikini. I suppose I was struck by the, the fact that at last, you know, the idea had been thought through a little bit better. Yes, yeah. Um, because although I, I, I hear what you say about Silver Nemesis, but at the time, that and Attack of the Cybermen um, no, well, in particular, five doctors. Yes, the Cybermen was simply used to be shot at and, yes. and to look stupid. I think. Yeah, and you know what? I've got to make an admission to you. I think that happens way more often with the Cybermen than not. If you know what I mean. 
You mean in different stories? Yeah, right. Going, yeah. Even going back as far as the 60s, I look at a lot of those Cybermen stories, and as often as they do something interesting with the Cybermen, they'll do another story where they're just generic robots to be shot mm. at. Mm. Mm. And I think it's a shame because the, the, the Cybermen should be the great Doctor Who monster. But for me, they always get overshadowed by the Daleks because so often you just get stories where the Cybermen turn up and there's a lot of shooting and they get blown up. Do you know what I mean? There's not not enough of the writers actually look at the concept of what the Cybermen are and use that as the starting point for the story. No, and and I hoped to overcome that by trying to put the history, you know, trying to put some kind of sense technology um and then so understanding them from the inside rather than the outside um which is why these moments and they are you know usually moments that you get and i think this is why Earthshock is probably the most successful from my point of view is that um it it chimes with 10th planet tomb of the segment really because it it uses it tries to understand why this is happening yeah as opposed to simply bringing in monsters that we've seen before and you know we know we can run away from or or rub, rub gold in them i mean that was such a cop out um and actually and, you know although it doesn't have as good a reputation it's not as well remembered as earthshock and it is problematic. There are a couple of things in that story that kind of drag it down a bit. But Attack of the Cybermen is probably probably the best Cyberman story of the 80s in terms of how it approaches doing the Cybermen. Well, you mean over and above Earthshock? I think so. I, prefer, I think Earthshock's a better story, but you... I think Attack of the Cybermen does the Cybermen better, if you know what I mean. Do you Have you... Do you have a, a view on who wrote uh, Attack of the Cybermen? Oh, well, uh, I think everybody pretty much knows that it's Eric Saywood, but that Ian Levine had a bit of input. <laughs> That's right, one of yeah. the best-kept secrets these days. It's been much discussed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's, it's Eric Saywood's ex-girlfriend's name on the script, but as, mm, but mm. as best as anyone can make out, she didn't have it. A single moment's involvement in actually writing it. But I met neither of them, I don't think, uh, when we were doing it. Oh, Eric either. I don't think I don't think I met Eric, because Eric was out of the way by then, wasn't he, as a scriptwriter, wasn't he? Um, no, the following year he was. He left the following year, yeah. <laughs> Attack of the Cybermen. Actually, Attack of the... Well, it, Attack of the Cybermen, I think... Eric Saywood thought that that was his big opus. And I think when the Michael Grade thing happened at around the same time, even though Michael Grade had formed his opinion on Doctor Who the year before, I think it was about when um, Attack of the Cybermen was broadcast that um, this all became... um, People became aware of this. And I think probably that was when um, Eric started to get disgruntled with his job Um, Andrew I believe has just joined us hello hello Andrew (laughs) so so it's been such a confusing day of emails going around and getting missing and lost in the 
That's all right. Yeah, so <laughs> we're finally here. It's all right. Hello. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello, Andrew. Can you hear me? David, hello. Lovely hello. to hear from you. Especially, I'm, I'm so sorry. I wasn't able to make. I didn't get to the recording, so it's especially um, uh, lovely to hear you. Oh, wow. well, I was hoping to meet you actually at the recording because it, you know, I was I was fascinated by somebody who was who hadn't written a Sidemen story before, as far as I could make out, and yet was no. was was, was um, you know launching themselves you know the deep end of something. Yeah, it's great to know. Well, I, I I certainly knew the old silver chaps, and um, uh, it was great to be asked to do it. And uh, so, I mean, without getting ahead of us, so they were GR. No, I tell you, I was I was, I was surprised <laughs> to realise it was the first big finish story uh, featuring the '80s Cybermen. Yes. Although I had had a conversation with Nick during a recording of something else, where we were talking about '80s Cybermen, where he mentioned he said he'd mentioned it to you. Mm. And you very modestly had assumed that Nick would do the voices. Well, he, he has. Do you, that, do you remember that conversation? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Well, no, no, no. Obviously, we're going to have you." And you'd said, "No, no, but you do the cyber voices now, don't you?" Uh, no. That's uh, which I thought was lovely. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, chat. I, I, I was just yeah, commenting yeah. On, on what had happened since 1989. You know, Nick. Uh, Nick was was doing the voices. For Big Finish, and then he yeah. taken on for the television. So um, no, but yeah. uh, when it comes to the cyber leader, mate, uh, you know, and we're of course talking about Nick Briggs, Nick Briggs and Big Finish. I think most people listening to this will know, but just in case somebody doesn't, absolutely. Look, guys, yeah. this is all going to go on the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, we've started, but I'd better just make sure anybody listening realizes. On the one <laughs> oh. hand, we have Andrew Smith author Hello. of the forthcoming Cybermen story from Big Finish, Hour of the Cybermen. And on the other hand, we have David Banks, who is playing the cyber leader for the first time since the 1980s in Doctor Who in the Hour of the Cybermen. And that's what we got together to talk about. And so I'll just take a back seat now and you two just carry on. <laughs> Don't take a back seat when the Cybermen... This is, this, is a, this is a green room conversation we would have had. Yeah. Either, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody said because we talked for about twenty or thirty minutes beforehand, and I don't think either of you have said anything that I would need to edit. Because the one thing that um... oh well, let's see what I can do about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing that David and I talked about that we said we probably shouldn't include that was actually just before I press the record button. So I no. think <laughs> unless either of you two would object, I think I'll just put the entire conversation on as it goes. Because yeah, uh, it was I all interesting. Object. Yeah, okay, good. Because it was all interesting stuff, and I think people would like to hear it. Um, yeah, that's as good as it gets, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you two have never actually met in person? No, we're not no. meeting in person now, are we, either? No. 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 Oh, that's kind of a shame. I One of the things I imagined when I sort of, uh, I asked the pair of you if you'd do this, and do this, you know, as a pair, was that you probably would have met. During the recording, no, funny it's it's um it's one of only about I've 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 written about well thirty odd big finish stories, and that's only the second recording I've, I've not been able to get to. Oh, uh, unfortunately, but um yeah uh uh yeah it was especially you know to, to the you know to have been there to have seen you and Mark. Doing the old cyber leader and cyber lieutenant thing would have been great, but it, it, yeah. it just wasn't possible. 
But you know, the funny thing is, the, you know, the setup, obviously, if you've done 30 and you've mm. been 28 times, uh, yeah. you know, the setup with Big Finish is that the actors don't actually work together anyway. <laughs> so, you're in the booths. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, but we're each of us, and I, yeah, I'm sure you're the people listening to this podcast, many of them know this, but it's, it's still an odd experience for me because it doesn't often happen. If, you, if you're recording something, you're usually in the same room with some with the actors and in this case you're put in little boxes and uh, and each of you you know do your own part imagining the other people mm. so yeah, yeah. You wouldn't actually you wouldn't have seen us um, mark and me acting together in the way that we did in the good old days you know where we no. loud and scraped to each other because jnt said it wouldn't be interesting otherwise yeah yeah but, but as you know, I mean, the big finish, it's a great experience, isn't it? And uh, I mean, I've been in those booths myself. I've been murdered several times. I've been shot by ray guns and killed by monsters several times. And uh, just, uh, you know, doing wild tracks. <laughs> you've played, but, essentially, uh, you've played the audio version of the guy who gets shot in the first act of Agatha Christie and has to stay still on the floor until the halftime curtain comes down, haven't you? <laughs> Yeah, usually the part I play is the writer is sitting at the back of the control room at Big Finish, keeping his mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, my plan for this evening has completely gone out of the window, as David will tell you, (laughs) as I had half an idea in my head um, sort of before we started. So, you know, that's out the window. We'll come to all the various other things as we go. But let's, let's then have a bit of a more sort of um, formulated chat about our hour of the Cybermen. Right. I'll get to David in just a second, but Andrew, yeah. as you say, you've written about thirty plays for Big Finish, and this is your yeah. first Cyberman one. Yeah. Did they come to you and say, "Do you want to do Cybermen?" or did you go to them and say, "Can I do Cybermen?" No, I, uh, it is. Uh, I'm. I'm a. I. My my favourite monster is the Cybermen. You know, my earliest memories are of uh, of Doctor Who are of Patrick Troughton and Jamie up against the Cybermen, both on TV and in comic strips when I was about five years old. Mm. Uh, and the Cybermen for me are the top monsters, not the Daleks. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and all the time I've been writing for Big Finish. You know, I've been, <laughs> yay! <laughs> and all the yeah, all the time I've written for Big Finish. The 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 the, the one monster that i wanted to write and i've written daleks and verd and caldor robots and things and um uh but the one thing i wanted to do is cybermen and then alan barnes script editor came to me said we're going to be doing this new trilogy with the three doctors the fifth the sixth the seventh doctors and we'd like you to do the 80 cybermen uh and then it's basically uh, oh just to put in a second is this the middle part of the new unit trilogy it is. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. 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 Which is very interesting to do. It took a bit of sorting out with characters yeah. uh, and whatever. Now, I can't remember. I, I know I specifically asked to do Colin because um, I hadn't written for him a while. And I, 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 and I just really, and it's, I mean, I haven't, I haven't worked with Sylvester and, and I've written a couple for Peter and it's nothing against them, but I just, I, I, I do particularly like writing for Colin and his sixth doctor at Big Finish. And um, so I asked for that and Alan said yes. And, and it was, uh, 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 so I don't know if that's how the 80s Cybermen became the middle story. Um, but that was the one I asked to do. Uh, and um, so went went ahead on that basis. 
Uh, and then he's, Alan said he'd like a story where there's like a deserted London and there's some kind of thing going on. Yeah, this is kind of sort of mm-hmm. as much as, well, when I realised that we were getting David and Mark back to do the Cybermen and I thought, oh, wow, that's a yeah. sort of step in the right direction, as it were. Then when mm-hmm. I saw the sort of praise that they put out for what the story was going to be, and you probably know, I'm sure we've spoken about this, you know what a huge fan of Survivors I was. This was like 80s Cybermen meet Survivors. I've, yeah, I've, I've, written a, I've written a few Survivors episodes. Yeah. It's probably my favourite gig, uh, and um, along with Doctor Who. And, um, yeah, I, I, I did get that vibe from, again, having written those some of those early survivors episodes of yes. big as well. it's uh yeah it's very much that thing going on uh your episode in the of... first series of survivors is the killer episode on that set and that is a really good set just throwing you a compliment there i'll let it go All right. thank you very much I'm just going to bring David in for a second, because from what you've said, they said to you, do you want to do 80 Cybermen? So it Mm. sounds to me, David, like they'd already lined you up before they got the script. In other words, I'm assuming maybe you had a conversation with somebody, perhaps when you came in to do the ultimate adventure and somebody said to you, how do you fancy doing the Cybermen? And you kind of said, well, okay, bring me a script. Is that remotely how it went down, or how did it go down? Well, we we did the Ultimate Adventure a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. The 2008, I think. Um, oh, was it as long ago as that? Wow. It was, yeah. And at the time, I I suppose I, was a, I had been a little bemused through the 90s and into the 2000s that although you know, the Cybermen were being used, and I sort of established the position of, uh, of somebody who was interested in, in, in the continuing story of the Cybermen. It sounds a bit like the Archers, doesn't it? Um, that, you know, I was not approached at all in terms of, uh, of reviving it or playing yeah. or, or taking part in it. You know, I, I'm an actor. I, 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 can, I can play anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I must admit, for, for my part, I was when... Um, uh, you know, for my part, I was surprised to realise, and, and I'm not just into Do- Do- I don't just like Doctor Who. I've been a fan of Big Finish for years. I've been listening to Big Finish since it started, mm. and I was surprised to be told or to realise I can't be sure <laughs> that, that this was the first eighty Cyberman story. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't yeah. quite understand that unless there's, there's a reluctance to to, to face them. Um, you know that maybe I, I don't know. It's not something I picked up on, but uh, uh, I began to assume that people just you know had a, an allergic reaction whenever they saw Ages Cybermen. Yeah, but that, or, that, the weird thing is, aside from maybe the Master, I would say the Cyber Leader is the definitive eighties Doctor Who villain. Wouldn't you agree? Andrew? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and so popular. Yeah, so hugely, hugely popular that that it. Yeah, and we're not the people to ask. I mean, I think it's Nick or, or uh, David yeah. or Jason, whoever, uh, at Big Finish, who can answer that. Um, uh, I suspect so, it's one of those situations I, where they just got into a groove of doing what they were doing, because I suppose Nick had already been doing it in the unofficial audios before Big Finish started. It probably got to the point where it never even crossed anybody's mind, and then suddenly one day somebody went, do you know what we ought to do? 
and this is how long it took. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I can't see how that could happen. And hmm. given the fact that Nick um, was playing Cybermen and Daleks, yeah, uh, and he, you know, he and from I did stop going to conventions for about ten years. Um, and that was largely during the 90s. No, sort of the end of the 90s to the end of the uh, of the 2000s. Yeah. And so I was probably a bit out of um, out of the scene, not picking up what people were thinking. But when I came back to it, um, I have to say, you know, it's, I agree with Andrew's assessment of that that people were really still talking about about the Cybermen who walked, who could walk and talk. <laughs> mm. yeah yeah and it's it's not an easy skill <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need a proper actor to be able to pull that one off <laughs> yeah 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 and and even you know even allowing for emotion that's another thing with the 80s sidemen i mean even excellent you know it's it's that emotion is something we were we were willing to accept that because the thing about no emotion doesn't really work yeah no. yeah um I must say I was delighted. My, I think my favourite line in the script, I'm, I was delighted that it's included in the trailer where right. we got a, a Price kills a, a Cyberman. He goes, Whoa! He says, you notice they've got no emotions, but they scream when they die. Yes. Yeah. And that, that, again, that's a very 80s thing. Well, that was um, fine, Andrew, and I was struck by that line. And I, you know, it's that kind of thinking about Cybermen that, that I think is sometimes or quite often has been missing throughout the whole series. And when it comes up, that kind of uh, question about what the Cybermen really are, where they come from, and and what they could be, you know, it's it's that is very very good, very good. It strikes me two things. One is that in order to make a television program or an audio drama that people can engage with, even if the character's not supposed to have any emotions, you kind of need a little bit of that in there in order for the audience to be able to identify with them, at least enough to understand their motives. But then the other thing is, and Andrew, I want to come back to you on this, mm. if you're going to do the Cybermen, the fact that they've got no emotions has to be... Well, it doesn't have to be, but it's a good hook to hang the story on. And finding emotional beats in places where there shouldn't be any has to be quite an interesting avenue to take with them, maybe. I, I, I think it is. And there's a thing, it's, funnily enough, I almost got into a mindset where I thought I'm doing the CD extras here and I was going to talk about a key plot point, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is to do with emotions being... Emotions, right, yes. We shouldn't go down know, that the, alleyway the, the, the now. Po the positive side of having no emotions. Um, oh, really? But, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but one th actually, with the emotions, one thing with this script... And I, 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 it's just come back to me. But I remember a thing of I, I had to keep removing exclamation marks. Oh, <laughs> usually put in, you know, with any character, you know, put in just to emphasise something. And I thought, no, no, God, he's a Cyberman. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and I, I think I actually had. I think I put a note on my whiteboard here in the office. Actually, at the end, to a pass, <laughs> for, <laughs> uh, exclamation marks and cyber dialogue. Uh, oh, wow. Because was I think, yeah, just but again, that's just a scary thing. It, it, it's just you, you can you can you can give you can give them those, those little emotional moments of just anger, little little yeah. subtle bits. And David and Mark, you know, deliver that so well. Um, but just 
as a general thing, have that that thing. They deliver their menace in such a level way. Yeah, that yeah. makes it scary. They're they're not losing it. They're just very. We're going to kill you. You know, you'll become like us. Boom. And, and they and and they believe as well that that their victims are going to be better off if they don't have emotions. Absolutely. Well, very, they, uh, David and Mark are probably. Oh, well, not probably, certainly the two actors most um, associated with the Cybermen, but probably mm-hmm. by head and shoulders, their iteration of the Cybermen is the sort of default setting. If you ask a Doctor Who fan, you know, what's the first thing when you think of when you think of Cybermen? And it's and yeah. it's David and Mark in Earthshock, probably, but the other two, well, the other three stories as well. But David and Mark in Earthshock, you know, looking down over that scanner of the caves at the end of part one. And that's not just because it's yeah. part one, because, but it's because of the performance that they give. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in a great script by, um, by Eric Seward. Yeah, it's probably his best I- one, I shall. Leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I may, just yes, add go here. ahead. Well, I think I think Eric Saywood is the key there because um, without that script, Mark and I wouldn't have had the place to start and and to develop the character yeah. because they were really characters. And I think Eric had thought through the conundrum of the evolution of the Cybermen, and I. We talked in an earlier podcast, JR, yeah. about about emotionlessness. So, Andrew, I'm, I'm very glad you you know you brought this up, and mm. clearly it's something you've thought about quite deeply when you've been approaching the Cybermen, the, mm. the aged Cybermen. But um, if you compare the first story, which is what everybody you know, it's the basis to everybody's starting point. Yeah, um, that's the tenth planet. There. It's clear there is no real emotion. It's simply stating the obvious to them. Yes. Mm. And and a lot is made of the fact that humanity is sort of let down. This is what the Simon think. Let down by their emotions. And when we think of emotions, we tend to have quite a, 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 a monographic view of them, I think. But the doctor... Hartnell, you know, um, laid out a whole series in the uh, hate, envy, you remember, pride. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Very interesting, nuanced ways of feeling. But what that program did was to say, well, these are our humanity. These, this is part of our humanity. Take those away and you get something which is deadened. It may be very powerful. It may mean you can live forever. But mm. it's not what we as humans want. And that stemmed very much from from Kit Peddler's experience. The reason that he thought of the Cybermen was because of this um, prolonged connection with with hospitals. He was ill, and he believed that mechanisation, even then, the kind of way of ticking boxes and so on, and the absence of uh, tender loving care, for want of a better word, yeah, yeah, um, was was not the way forward. So it's, that's where we start. Yeah, yeah. But it's, when you when you move on, as Eric did, another five hundred years. Yeah. Um, these are Cybermen. You can tell by the way they look as well. Who've moved on a lot in the way that they um, approach their 
mission, which yeah. is to survive and conquer. Mm. And when you get in my, in my thesis, really, in, in the book, is to say, well, these are logical imperatives. They, they seem like emotions, but they are what you have to have if you are intent on, on conquering the universe. If you've got a goal, that goal, even if it doesn't connect with you in an emotional fashion, that goal becomes, as you say, an imperative. And mm. achieving that imperative can give the impression of somebody who is, you know, having an emotional journey, I suppose. And what, it's just struck me what you've just been talking about. And I've never really thought this before, but the Cybermen are like a modern take on Faust, aren't they? It's a oh. pact with the devil. You want to live forever because you enjoy being alive. But in order to achieve living forever, you have to give up the enjoying of it. Well, or you I'm, might be in a position where your emotions are so negative. Well, actually, yeah. the, the idea of having them taken away is quite attractive. Yes. Um, oh, that's an interesting uh, thought. That's the other side of it, isn't it? It is, because, because emotions are you know, positive and negative. Mm. And if someone's experiences almost entirely negative emotions, you can see how having emotions taken away might be attractive. But, of course, the other side is that no well that's completely wrong is because uh if you take away fear grieving mourning loss whatever you, you're also taking away love and happiness yes uh, and you can't enjoying have enjoying a, yeah. enjoying a well-prepared meal <laughs> <laughs> yeah smelling a flower yeah, yeah. yeah well yeah, as yeah, they yeah. say you can't have one without the other mm -hmm. can you yeah. uh, no Talking about Airshock and Eric's scripts as well. I mean, that 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 was a wonderful, wonderful, perfect reboot of the Cybermen in Earthshock back then. Not least because, and funnily enough, uh, just about an hour ago, uh, because it came out today, the series twelve Blu-ray, oh, season yes, twelve yeah. Blu-ray today, which includes Revenge of the Cybermen from nineteen seventy-four. Mm -hmm. um, and I watched the first episode of that, which is looking pristine. But that's a story. Um, uh, where, and that was really where we left the Cybermen before Earthshot, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so where the, the, there'd been a gradual kind of diminution of, of the Cybermen. Yeah. To the point they'd become just a remnant of the, for, a, a ghost of their former selves and just knocking around, as the doctor said, you, you know, in tin pot spaceships and things. But Earthshot uh, and, and this new era that, David and Mark helped to deliver so incredibly well was the Cybermen as a new scary powerful force and yeah. the most popular antagonist for the Doctor in the 1980s. Well yeah. Earthshock, I don't think it's an understatement to say that Earthshock is probably the most iconic Doctor Who story of that entire decade. Well that's a big claim to make, JR. I don't yeah, but I'm sure Andrew will agree with me. I don't think there's another story in that entire decade that is as iconic and as well remembered as that one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um I don't think there's one that made a bigger impact. No. I mean Caves of Androzani is Yeah, that's the one that wins uh, the polls, but I think yeah. Earthshock is the one that people well, really remember, yeah. Yeah, that's not really the same thing as iconic and No, exactly. And, uh, um Yeah, yeah, you could well be right. Right. Anyway, I just, gonna... I just wish. I've got, oh, can I God, just say yeah. at this point, just put on record. Um, I, I, John, John, Jonathan Turner. Yeah. Uh, 
quite famously turned down the offer of Radio Times cover, you know, saying the Cybermen were coming back. He wanted to keep it as a surprise. I think that was wrong. <laughs> yes. I know uh, a lot of people yeah. think that now, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. If you're a fan, it was great because yes. you're going to be watching whatever. Yes, exactly. But, but we could have had a lot of people watching, waiting for the Cybermen, uh, remembering the Cybermen, you know. Yes. Yeah. But it was wonderful, you know, you know. And also the thing is, a lot of people have watched it since. Yes, yeah, yeah. And of course they all know it's got the Cybermen in because they're on the cover of the Blooming DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and is it so, I mean, listen, I mean, tonight, you know, watching a story from 19... A piece of television from 1974. And then we get Earthshock was 82? Yeah. 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 It came out 82. Yeah. 36 years ago. Um, and we're still talking about it. And these things are still... And Earthshock will be on Blu-ray at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, well, apart from anything it's, else, it yeah. says on the cover of the new Blu-ray that this is, you know, planned at least, whether they'll actually be able to go through with it, but planned at least to yeah. uh, sort of collect the set, as it were. Yeah, and continue with other seasons. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, season 19 must be a big contender because uh, that is a season where all the film still exists on film. So it's the one... I think season 19 might be the season that they can make look the best out of the entire classic era, I suspect. Mm. I guess we'll find out one day. I, I expect it will all be done in due course. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it, yeah, it was a hugely impactful story. So Andrew... Killed, killed off my Edric. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, that, that didn't that even was, strike that me. Great, that was a great moment. That was a great moment of the uh, the 80s. That, that didn't even strike me till you said it just now. I've got sitting in front of me on Skype the face of the guy who created Adric and the face of the guy who killed him. Yeah, um, that's true. And and also, you know, that thing of having no music at the end, I think that's the only time, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. The it's, only time. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh that was a decision. It mm. was, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently they'd just done it on EastEnders, which I think is what I'd given him the idea. Could No, it couldn't have been EastEnders. EastEnders no, well, they around. did it on the Archers. That was the kind of classic thing. Oh, the uh, Archers, was it? I think Grace Archer died, and but this was about <laughs> about 20 years before. I, mm. yeah. I swear I remember reading somewhere that something John Nathan Turner had seen or maybe listened to had given him the idea. And maybe mm. it was the Archers. Maybe yeah, he, he was dredging up a really ancient memory of the Archers. Or maybe maybe it was Peter. I mean, that, that, again, that's yeah, one thing yeah. got in common. I mean, Peter, Peter Grimwood had directed my... Uh, story full circle and mm. directed this as well and i thought it did a great job well the story that i think probably if you it, this the scene count in Earthshock yes. is absolutely phenomenal yeah yeah uh, it must have been a very thick script <laughs> uh, and the thing is i used to use it for, for writing on the back of and things like, and you know whenever i met fans afterwards uh, in fact, I worked with um, Alan Cox, the, the, the uh, son of Brian Cox. Oh, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a yeah, play. The, the actor Brian Cox, yeah. Yeah, yeah Alan yeah. Cox. And he, he was 12 when I worked with him. It was a pleasure today. And um, I said, oh, you, you were, you know, so we talked about Doctor Who. And um, 
I think I was using the back of the script at the time, and he said, you, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by that time, half of it had gone, I think. Oh, yes, uh, but it would be worth a fortune with all those scribbles on it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends what I scribbled, I suppose. Well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'd be either worth a fortune or else it'd probably get you a prison sentence, but yeah. we shan't no, ask no. Andrew about that. <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you find Peter, David? I, I know some, some actors have um, sort of not responded too well to him. I mean, he produced great results, but how, how did you find working with him? Well, I think he had an angst about him, and mm. he, he, you know, that was increased by having, I think it was 360 scenes as opposed to, you know, an average of 180 scenes. Yeah. So he had an enormous mountain to climb, and he had to take us with him. With him. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, he was bound to, that angst, that anxiety was bound to be pronounced. He just focused on the job. And so mm -hmm. I, I can imagine some people found him a bit rude at times and so on. But he certainly, you know, the, the focus was a good one, and he knew how to bring the thing home. And yeah. the emotionless thing, um, you know, was a discussion that we had, Remember, we, then, it doesn't happen now, but we, we had rehearsal time. And uh, most of the time we had was for rehearsal and fitting of costumes and things. And we then, would have, after two weeks, we would have two days in, two days in the studio. Yeah. And then another two weeks, uh, at the end of that, two days in the studio. So there was plenty of time to discuss. And maybe this is why, as well, the, the, the characters of the Cybermen, as mm -hmm. the idea that the Cybermen is just there to be shot. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or caught in walls or whatever. But by the time that Mark is caught in a wall, um, we know him as a personality, as a disfigured, mutilated personality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Mark is anyway. But... <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that just because he's not here. <laughs> no, I'm seeing him tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. I'll, I'll apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Andrew, I'm going to ask you another question that I was going to ask about 20 minutes ago before, well, this conversation's kind of just freewheeling itself, really, isn't it? Okay. But, but, but I was sort of edging towards it a few minutes ago. When you sit down to write a story, and I mean, you know, you have a wealth of experience of sitting down to write stories, and generally speaking, when you sit down to write a story, you will have human characters with human concerns, human motivations and human goals mm. that will be your starting point for the plot. But mm. when you sit down to write a story and the starting point for your plot is, right, it's, it's a Cyberman story. Yeah. And without giving away any spoilers, what is the thing that you latch on to about the Cyberman and you say, right, this is the thing I can build a story out of? And I, I, they have a, they have a plan. Yeah. Uh, they have a plan. They have a logical plan, um, a feasible plan. Um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something else that was different about this. This was my first after thirty I'd played. This was my first, I think, proper full-on invasion story. Um, certainly my first Earth invasion story. Wow. Um, and I had to think, you know, it had to, had to be something that's going to be fairly devastating. Um, in fact, I came up with an idea that I sent into Alan storyline, and he came back and he said, "I'm really sorry, we're going to have to completely redo this because this is very similar to a comic strip." Uh, and I and I won't name it 
because there are still elements that we've used in our other Sidemen. It's uh, very similar to a Sidemen comic strip, where they, they, they use that kind of plot, mm. so I had to adjust it. Um, uh, but yeah, there's that, and then 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 I had the idea of of someone actually quite liking the idea of being cybernized, uh, and um, uh, yeah, I went with that and tried to you know you know fit that into the story. Um, but yeah, with the Cybermen themselves. Well, I was going to say, did it make it easier knowing that it was the '80s Cybermen for you to come up with the dialogue and personality? I think I knew. Well, I, I, I felt I knew them. I felt I knew them well. I don't remember having any issues with the dialogue. Except there was one thing. I was halfway through writing my first draft of episode three, or getting towards the end of it, and I realised I hadn't had anybody say "excellent," <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately stopped and went back. And very early on, actually, we have someone say, uh, "Well, the cyber leader says yeah. excellent." Um, <laughs> he, he, he probably says it again. I'm, I can't remember, but um, uh, I felt no. The, the main thing I remember with, this, with the dialogue is teaching myself not to put exclamation points in right, there, right? Right. Uh, uh, I just keep it level. Um, but I, 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 did, I really enjoy. I, I just love the menace of the Cybermen. There's a scene in, in episode two where, where the Cyber Leader is speaking to a human prisoner. And demonstrating the methodology they're going to use, uh, and so you know you think you, you say humans aren't vulnerable. Let me demonstrate, and he does this thing <laughs> that's key to the plot. Right, and he says, "There you go, you're <laughs> weak, you're vulnerable." Boom, wow. yeah, boom. But because it's not done angrily, because it's just done here. You go. I'm going to. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. To, I'm going to do this to you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone torturing you who just keeps a very level voice, doesn't get emotional? I'm yeah. going to kill. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do it. Oh, oh, oh! Creepy, creepy, creepy. That's but, a Sidemen, I think, at their best. Um, mm. This is a realization that I came to quite late. But a way of understanding the Cybermen is is through a human trait, mm-hmm. um, which is a a psychopath's way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and be, it's, it's kind of totally rational. And what is lacking is any empathy. Exactly. Yeah. Because, uh, and so the Cybermen would take that. They, they, they have, they're actually, I think, in terms of their evolution, they've, they've, because they've excised emotion, that's what they started off with. They, they thought that this was a useful way of being able to obliterate what was happening. Remember, they did this because their planet was was meant that they could no longer live in it, and they had to yes. adjust themselves rather than being able to live, uh, adjust the planet. Mm. But there were consequences to that, and those consequences are played out in the 80s Cybermen, basically. That's what you see, and that's what so brilliantly you wrote, Andrew, I think. Well, thank you. But I, And again, that, that empathy, you're absolutely right, because I think in... In in you know in our lives and in, in the news and in history, you know I'm not a great believer in evil, but I think where well, you do see what people might call evil, what what that comes down to is a lack of empathy. People not relating to other people's experiences, and where yes. people do the most terrible, terrible things to other human beings, 
it's through a lack of empathy. In real life, it's through a lack of empathy. It's saying, I can do this because you're not looking at what or who and you're doing not, it to. Yeah, They're not identifying with the experience. Yeah. They're not transferring themselves onto that person and, yeah. and understanding really the experience of the pain or whatever it is that they're going through. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, speaking of pain and lightening up mm. things just a slight touch. Yeah, we probably need to do that. <laughs> yeah. So you'd done the ultimate adventure, David, where you'd come in and done Carl again. But, yeah. and like <laughs> you say then, this was obviously the better part of a decade later, which I hadn't realised. But what mm. was it like then, going in and picking up the cyber leader? And was it easy to do? And did you enjoy the experience of doing it on audio? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, so having been the Cyberman that walks and talks, all I had to be was the Cyberman that walks and talks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, no, look, it, it was a job as well. And, um, and yeah, I've several times reprised plays, say, yeah, um, parts in plays. Um, and you, when you do it on stage, you've got to relearn the whole thing. It goes after a few months, mm. and um, with this, that wasn't the problem. In fact, there was no problem at all. The, I'd thought so deeply about cybermen, cyber philosophy, and and um, and had you know the history, the pseudo history. Um, I felt that I was in a much better position now to make decisions about how this cyber leader should be played in the context of Andrew's script than I was when I first started. But there's always, I think, every actor would probably say that whenever you start a new script, uh, it's always like starting from the beginning again. You don't know what you're going to be able to make of it. And that's part of the adventure. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's true. That's true of writing it as well, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, I'm glad that Mark was there to hold my hand. <laughs> yeah, that must have been actually. Yeah, now that you've brought that up, that must have been nice because Mark would be the only person there who had been there the first time around, and having that familiar element, even though you're in booths rather than sort of standing next to each other, having yeah. that familiar element is probably not only reassuring, but it's also probably an aid in getting back into the character, perhaps. Um, I suppose so. Although you know, he and I. Have, have remained friends and we yeah. see each other quite a lot. Uh, and I have to say, um, uh, this is a secret I may be able to give out about our of the Cybermen. Originally, they didn't think they were, you know, they, they were going to cast, cast somebody else as a cyber lieutenant. And so when they approached me and I read the script, I said, you've got the cyber lieutenant here. Have you approached Mark? And I think maybe they didn't have the contact. It hadn't been thought through properly. It was there's a load of stuff that they've got to think through. Yeah. And it just passed them by. So when I said, look, mm -hmm. I, I, it may have even been, you know, the, the, the budget, you know. Mm. And so I said, well, I'm sure you could do negotiations with Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mark, you know, I'm sure he was just very, very glad to be part of it again. Yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. Yeah, and of course, so, someone else who had been there for you before was Colin, of course. Oh, sorry, yes, of yeah, course. What am I thinking? <laughs> and well, that's well, the point that JR was making, wasn't it? Yeah, no, no. Oh, sorry. That, 
completely went past me. It didn't even occur to me. And yeah, of course, that should have been the first thing in my head. But yes, of course, Colin. Well, what was it like seeing Colin again? Well, I, I keep seeing him. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we do do. I have kept up the circuit, you know, since I had that ten-year break, yeah, which did me a lot of good, I have to say. Um, that you know, we keep seeing each other, so it's it's like uh, as with the other people. It's funny. It's it's a big dispersed family. Um, all the better for not seeing each other all the time. Actually, what's speaking of which, Andrew, what's your um, experience on sort of conventions and things like that? Because having gone away for so many years, I'm yeah. guessing you probably didn't come into the sort of convention circuit until quite late. Because I don't know whether I'm misremembering, but I don't seem to recall your name being attached to conventions very often. No, um, no, because I, um, uh, you know, I, I did a couple back at uh, two three or so back in the uh, the early 80s yeah. but when I, when I had my police career that that became my thing and I uh, wasn't doing anything with Doctor Who and um, it was only about uh, 2010 I think after the Full Circle DVD came out I did my first one which is up in Glasgow uh, uh, which is where I was approached by Big Finish actually to ask me to, to, to write um, uh uh yeah, and I've done a, done a, uh, a few since. In fact, I, I did Gallifrey one in 2013, which I think was a year before David. You were there, and there's that lovely photograph of you with the cosplaying Cybermen, uh, including a wonderful, wonderful Tenth Planet Cyberman. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an iconic photograph actually, with these three or four Cybermen all lined up. With David, you're on the end of it with a big smile on your face. <laughs> it's it's great. Do you, do you know well, the photograph I'm talking about? I yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think I've seen that. I'm going to have to look it up. I yeah, probably have I seen it. Yeah. It's um, the Gallifrey. I'm sure it was a Gallifrey from February 2014. Yeah. Um, uh, if not, it'd be 2015. But I think it's 2014. Um, uh, yeah, a, a lovely, lovely photograph. Um, do you enjoy? So what's the original question about? Well, I'm just asking you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now that you've done it, do you enjoy mm. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't get asked to as many as as David, obviously, but I I, I enjoy them very much. Uh, because David um, was talking about sort of it being like an extended family, and is that your experience too? Then yeah, there are certainly um, yeah, there are certainly people. Actually, actually, not not just other people who've been involved in the program, but the fans as well who turn up. Yeah, some again, the, some of them have become friends. Uh, again, you just see them so much, and they're, they're Twitter buddies, and, and meet up elsewhere and whatever. Um, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, yeah, they are very social occasions, and and again, from again, not having done nearly as many as David, I'm sure, but 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 just going back and uh, you're kind of reconnecting with people, and it and it's good to just reconnect. Uh, you know, after a period of time as well, because they are, they're always such good, happy occasions. Do you, do you find, Andrew, that it, it uh, helps you with your writing as well that in talking? Because I find that some fans are really very interesting in their views and their knowledge, and you can pick up things. Uh, and it certainly helped me with when I was writing my, you know, the, the pseudo history, for example. In yes. fact, embedded some of their names in the in the archivists. Uh, you know, the other archivists, along with Hegelia, 
Um, and I wondered with you whether you drew on that or whether you, your knowledge, you were comfortable in your grasp anyway of the Doctor Who lore. Not, not, so, not so much from the conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and for names, I always, always go to IMDb. I just flit down cast lists and production crews. And for alien names, I just try to tweak things and whatever. Mm. Um, although I have used, I have used uh, some people's real names or versions of it <coughs> for uh, for characters. Um, but um, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, it comes down to the different ways you approach a story. Um, uh, uh, I forgot. I think if some, I, I don't know where most of the inspiration comes from. To be honest with you, <laughs> hmm. I think, and I, I don't know this from a writing fiction perspective, but I think sometimes if you do something regularly, most of the people mm. who are, and I hesitate to say good at it, but most of the people who are good at getting it done have a sort of a system or routine, which sounds completely crazy when you're talking about imagination and making things up and fiction. But even in fiction, I can imagine that there is a certain process that you get in the habit of going through. There's, there's certainly a process. And, yeah. and um, I mean, for me, my things, I, I kind of look at story beats and things I want to get to. And even I might know the ending if I know the beginning and I might or I, I look at a setup of a world or a, or a type of story and I'll think, right, at, at this point in the story, maybe halfway through, I want to kill one of the people we think is going to get to the end of the story. <laughs> um, right. Or, um, uh, um, I don't know, but I, I, I you know, I, 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 the examples I keep thinking of are of things I'm working on at the moment, and they're too specific. That you can't talk say. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But um, uh, yeah, that's 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 what I tend to do. Um, uh, I'd also think of, um, I mean, I'll do things. I, I, I think I do all the time. Is I, I write biographies of characters before I do a story, just because I want to know their lives, and I just find that helps. Um, uh, I'll do, or I'll do the history of a, a world, or the history of a company, or the history of whatever. Um, even at storyline stage, I just feel just to create the world in my own head, even if little of it will actually finish up in the story. I just find that helps. Do you know, um, I probably sh- part of process. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm just sort of finishing a novel at the moment that I've kind of been asked to write that will probably see publication at some point late this year or early next. And just one of the things that I've done with a couple of characters in there is to actually write a biography in one of the chapters, which is kind of... Because, you know, some writers will take you on weird little detours, and that's something that I like to do. And one of the things that I've done, I think twice in the book, is take you on to a detour into a character's background so that by the time you get to where they turn up in the story, all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you forget what story you're in if you know what I mean. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, I should, probably shouldn't have said any of that. That's entirely put the focus <laughs> onto me instead of the two of you. So, no, 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 uh... no, no, no it, it just has to fit. I mean, James Herbert yes, yes. Uh, used to do that quite a bit. But I remember in the, in the Rats, especially, which is a famous horror story, but um, yeah, I, I remember, you know, he, he wrote pages and pages and pages of background story on this character, I think it was a vagrant, who then dies. Yes. <laughs> So why we had this whole backstory of this guy who just is no longer in the story? Russell T. Uh, Davis he, does it yeah. in Damaged Goods. Right, right. Yeah, he does the same thing. Yeah. He starts off one of the chapters telling you all about this 
person mm. who's working in a ice cream parlor or something. And then in the middle of the second page of this biography, she serves the main character who's just come into the shop and the rest of the scene is the main character and the conversation they have while they're in the shop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, look, um, I promised I wouldn't keep the two of you up too late and we've we've sort of run to the end of the time that we said we'd do it. Would you two guys like to come back in maybe two or three weeks? Because I had all these plans of all these other things that we were going to talk about, you know, books and your other big Finnish plays and and also Full Circle and The Ultimate Adventure and things like that. I wanted to talk about all this stuff. We've been talking about the Cybermen for damn near an hour. Would you like to come back in maybe two or three weeks and carry on? I would, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. In that case, I think we'll stop now so that you can get off. And because uh, I think we've, uh, if we go any further into Hour of the Cyberman, we'll start spoiling it for people. <laughs> but I have had to bite. I have had to bite my tongue. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can say, David, I'm so I'm so looking forward to hearing what what you've done with it. I I uh, I can't remember uh, anticipating listening to something uh, I've written quite so much. Um, oh. That's, that's uh, great. Yeah. I would quite like to hear it as well. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're, we're both on tenterhooks, aren't we? Yeah. We don't get advanced copies. We get copies, but we don't get advanced copies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, I do not know when it's being released either. Um, no, we know so July. It's this, yeah. sometimes. It, it's this month sometime. It could be in the next couple of days. It, it could be on the 31st of July. I do not know. Yeah, I think it's something like that, or thirty first of August, or something. But I, I just have to say um, that you know this isn't a spoiler. It's just that what you have written, Andrew, is ideally suited to the pictures that you get when you're listening to the radio. Um, so it's spectacular. <laughs> it's spectacular. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Not just for having David back, which is. I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm kind of hope we we do have a horsepipe band. That might help. That might fit in nice with the story as well. Oh, yes. Pictures yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'll say goodnight. Okay. Thank you guys both so much for coming and doing this, because we did, we did, uh, well, we finally got a date, but it's one of those things again where things might yeah. l- look like they might have gone out of, we'll try and do it again in maybe two or three weeks' time and uh, talk about some more stuff, but but it's yeah. yeah. been really kind of you both to come on. Thank you. No problem at all. No problem at all. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah, cheers, David. Speak Bye. to you again. Bye now. Cheerio, guys. Good night. All right.